You're listening to the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast. I, I really use the analogy with, you know, the other industries, you know, you kind of want to create something that flies off the shelf. And that's that means having not only a deep understanding of what the customer, you know, whether, as I said, it's an enterprise or, or an individual wants to buy, but also being able to capture insights and be reactive. Hi, I'm Igrani Yu, and this is the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast. My guest today is Ruth Fox Blader, a managing director at Anthemis on the investment team. Earlier this year, Ruth posted on Medium about the need for InsurTechs to buckle down in 2019. This is what she said. The past couple of years have shown many talented teams proving product market fit for fintech propositions. 2019 must be the year of scaling, scaling up, scaling across borders, and getting the unit economics right. To do this, founding teams need time and focus. They need to be properly funded already in order to buckle down and figure out which problems are worth solving. Um, I was hoping to unpack that with you because I think there's a lot of um, there are a lot of pieces to that. And and first of all, I guess maybe the scaling part. Um, Anthemis generally invests in early stage startups. And from what I see, that scale is a really hard thing to achieve. So can you talk a little bit about scale going from that scrappy uh, bootstrapped company, how do you overcome that? And how do you get to the point of scale? And when you do get to scale, what are the keys to success? Yeah. Uh, So I think Anthemis has been lucky and prescient and invested in a number of, you know, category creating companies like Betterment and the Climate Corporation um, you know, companies that, that really have, have successfully scaled and, 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 you know, in some cases exited. So I would say that we look obviously for the same thing that all VCs look for in terms of founder excellence and, you know, a real, a real unmet need in the market that's, that someone has an interesting approach to. I think, you know, at that point, the quality of the product is really, also key. So creating something that people want to buy. Um, and in, in financial services, it's tough, you know, but it, I, I really use the analogy with, you know, the, with, with other industries, you know, you kind of want to create something that flies off the shelf. And that's, that means having not only a deep understanding of what the customer, whether it's, you know, whether, as I said, it's an enterprise or an, or an individual wants to buy, but also being able to capture insights and be reactive. In financial services, in order to launch, most companies need um, quite quite a lot uh, in terms of insights from either from industry or capital. That could be risk cap in the insurance context. It could be a lending instrument. And in order to get those things in place, uh, the founders usually have to do quite a bit of thinking. We will invest even before those things are in place, and it's really fun to watch founders think about how they're going to communicate their value proposition to whomever it is they need to convince to back the company, uh, and then you know how they're going to use whatever capacity they derive from their interactions with the financial services industry to create great products. Sometimes it's not apparent. Oftentimes, the product that we that we think that we're going to market with is slightly or, or, you know, demonstrably different from what ends up selling. So 
we really look to work with people who have a high level of creativity, who understand the value that they can create and understand the value that they can capture and are willing to shape the proposition in a way that, um, that they can begin to do some of that. Another piece of your comment on scale, you said scaling up, but you also said scaling across borders. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit more, because obviously insurance is a global industry. Sure. I think there's, it depends on the business. Um, I can give an example from um, my current portfolio. There's a company called Hokoto. We're looking at uh, providing support to SMEs first through a single invoice credit risk insurance. And what's really clear is that anything in the trade finance space is really quite international quite early. Uh, Anthemis as a whole invests in about 50% US companies, US-based companies, 50% European companies to date. And so we see you know, the challenge of finding a geographical focus, which is large, large enough to build a very large business. And I think the pan-European, the concept, the pan-European uh, fintech is really just now getting started within, you know, I would say the past couple of years. Um, it's quite difficult because of the regulatory regime and, and also the cultural challenges to launch a company in multiple markets. I think that this is really key and really critical to this phase of fintechs becoming much larger businesses. And I wonder if what we'll see is, the, is, is uh, you know, some of these companies scaling much the way insurance companies have traditionally scaled, um, which is through acquisitions. I'm anticipating that happening a lot more in the next um, year or two. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I wanted to dig into another piece of, of that quote, which is that um, the fintechs need to be properly funded already. Um, and I understand this is in the context of the scaling argument, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are on new insurtechs coming into the market. Um, we've seen this huge explosion of insurtechs over the past three to five years. Is there a problem that hasn't been solved yet? And is there room for a new insurtech? So... I always say insurance touches everything, and it really does. It touches all parts of our life, and and you know it is the prerequisite for a modern economy. So when I talk about insurtech, I define that incredibly broadly. Um, you know, it's it's really anything to do with risk and risk mitigation. So the answer is yes, absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot of risk which needs to be mitigated, and there are. Um, a lot of products, which frankly um, are not good and and could be replaced and and processes both inside of insurance and inside of insurance companies, which could be improved through the use of technology. So I'm very bullish that there are a lot of really important problems left to solve. Um, in terms of the traditional PNC insurance startups, I bet there are still, you know, companies that will that we'll see coming out and, and will improve on the mistakes of some which have shut down. Um, and I think that it is about being circumspect about how much capital is really needed to to build to build the business. And it will be special founders who are really smart and probably have proven exits elsewhere who can attract investors who are willing to take the punt. I think that 
investors are pretty smart too. And they recognize that these are very expensive problems to solve. And what I've noticed is that um, typically the insure tech companies, which are, you know, raising multiple rounds, the more traditional, you know, companies that are selling insurance digitally and, you know, perhaps better products and with uh, more digitally native backend processes, um, those companies, you know, tend to be founding teams tend to be represented by founding teams who can attract capital a little bit more readily. Great. Um, I wanted to move on to uh, another theme that you mentioned as far as Anthemis and a bit of its mandate or working style. And one is that this idea that uh, fintech is embedded. There's the general adage that uh, insurtech is, you know, five to seven years behind fintech. And so based on your experience in fintech and what you're doing in insurtech currently, where do you see this embedded insurance idea moving within the industry? And, and what does that mean for both incumbents and the insurtechs themselves? Yeah, I think it's really scary for incumbents. And I know this from spending seven years at Allianz. I think that we, there is a sense that it would be really interesting to provide customers with insurance products in a context relevant way. And the thing that came up at Allianz because everyone just liked to go to Austria and ski was like, oh, what if like when you hit the slopes, then you get a message and it, you know, you can just opt in and have skiing insurance. It's a, you know, I don't have anything, any, I'm not looking for that startup, (laughs) Uh, but (laughs) believe it or not. But, um, but I do think, you know, what the trend that we're seeing both at the infrastructure layer and also at the, um, customer acquisition layer is that people are increasingly expecting finance to become invisible and they're expecting to have financial transactions that make sense and are context relevant, which perhaps they don't even need to choose to action. And and that really becomes embedded and it becomes embedded in people's normal lives. Um, I think that the other thing that we're thinking about is with emerging risks helping people to you know quickly deeply understand those risks and protect against those without a ton of thought historically what the insurance industry has said is that insurance is a a product which is sold not bought you know this would really turn on its head that old adage and i think it is quite threatening for incumbents from the perspective of you know who owns the customer and are we just, you know, product producers? And the same questions that, as you said, the banks were asking a decade ago, really about becoming the dumb pipes. Mm-hmm. In reading some of your other interviews, I understand that you have a, a bit of a thesis on data versus math in insurance. I'm wondering if you can talk about that data versus math in insurance and why that's important. Yeah, I think this comes from, I think it's like, was Jeff Jonas, like a blog post in 2005 or something where he was writing about how data beats math. And when I was, when I started working in insurance, I was like, oh, cool. Now I totally get to like roll up my sleeves and hang out with data scientists and do tons of stuff with data. And I was literally horrified um, by some of the things that I saw because it is, it is a data industry. Insurance is a data industry. And the amount that we actually 
use our data and actually capture it in a way that it can be used or even understood is, is, is just pretty insane. Um, and so I started to develop this idea that insurance hasn't reached its data beats math moment. And, you know, so we have love large numbers and the ability to kind of win using statistical math, which is very sophisticated and works. But in terms of both external data and internal data, internal to companies and internal to the industry, um, I think that there's really massive improvements that we can make on uh, understanding risk and and understanding customers. Mm-hmm. And I, I also see kind of this trend from sort of the historical look at data. We have a historical data set. We can apply our models and we can um, look backwards and understand our risk, but not necessarily I can take this this maybe new forms of data and predict risk. Um, can you comment at all on that sort of like using data to look backwards and using data to look forwards? Yeah, I think we historical data is the basis for insurance and it, ser- it serves us pretty well. And there are a lot of really interesting data models that, that are developed to you know, deeply understand historical data and also to create sort of stochastic paradigms. So it's not just pure history. Um, At the same time, you know, predictive modeling in some ways has been around for a while and in some ways is in its infancy. And there's a lot of debate about um, how accurate it is. I think we have to use it. You know, there's a lot of, um, we'd been doing a lot of research in my team about synthetic data and um, the options that that it presents for really differently understanding risk um, and, and understanding situations. Um, I think even just having very basic data about assets, insured assets, is, it, it can, can really change the way that um, people approach insurance. I was recently at our uh, hacking finance retreat, Anthemis hosts a hacking finance retreat annually in, in the French Alps. And we had a really great discussion about what happens when, you know, we have a lot more data and we more deeply understand risk. You know, does the entire insurance paradigm change? Insurance is really about pooling risk and sort of getting a big enough pool so that the, the probability of something catastrophic happening is low and then everybody pays out of the pool. Um, what happens when the, you know, the pools are comprised of just the very best risks? Cause we actually understand who the best risks are in different contexts. You know, does that sort of break the whole paradigm of solidarity and, you know, where do we go from there? Um, I think we're a long way from being there. And I think that the kind of, we're at the cusp of really s- taking a lot of the ambient data that's out there about, I'm thinking, you know, properties, uh, people, I think is a whole other topic because there there are a lot of privacy issues there. Um, But really understanding uh, on a much more fundamental level, what the risk looks like and either helping the owners to shore up against, you know, potential risks. And there are a lot of new risks when you think about property and climate change or just you know building books that are more sensible and if you ask people who have exposure to those risks despite the fact that it is a new paradigm and it you know the the kind of model for assessing stuff 
um, with new data hasn't been built inside of insurance companies yet, they are nonetheless very, very excited about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that, um, that breakdown a lot. And I'm curious because, you know, his, traditionally insurance is, is PNC and just, you know, to another st- extent life, but it's tangibles. And this came up in season one of this podcast where a large portion of what the insurance industry covers is tangible goods, but that increasingly there's a lot tied up in intangible. So intellectual property, cyber, um, et cetera. I'm wondering if you have any comments on that and how that might, um, how that's changing with technology. Yeah, I think it's really scary. Uh, <laughs> I, and, and when I talk to sort of people older than I am, they're super scared of this stuff. I think that it's, it's really a generational sensitivity. A lot of the privacy issues, we're going to see a lot of just social change um, around those attitudes. But in terms of cyber, the cyber risk factor is everywhere. And I think we're starting to see our, maybe it's our perception in, in 2019. Um, maybe it is reality, but we're starting to feel like risk is just all encompassing. And, you know, cyber, I think is a good example of that. And it's a good example, again, of how in that, in that case, um, really combating those risks does need to have a sort of embedded feature. Um, I, one of the early investments that I made in Allianz Ventures was a company called Argus Cybersecurity. And it, uh, basically it was a, it was a, 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 a cyber technology preventing, um, preventing cars from being hacked. And, you know, there are just, you think about the electrical grid or cars or identity theft, like all these things are really emerging risks and insurance companies are are far away from understanding um, the impact of those. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that you had mentioned was that Anthemis so far has has really split its investments across U.S. and Europe. Um, I'm one. There are some really interesting things happening also in Asia and in China in particular, um, as well as in South America. I'm wondering to what extent are you looking at that, and and maybe does does that change your perspective or inform your perspective of what you're looking for in a startup? So yes, we are looking at um, at both of those areas and in fact intend to do a lot more work in Latin America. And we have a big um, part of our thesis, which is which where we are very closely following China because we see that there, you know, that there's just a lot for, for us to learn from the Chinese internet. Um, so whether or not we're investing um, in in those geographies, and we do invest in, in geographies other than the U.S. and Europe, we do that opportunistically for now, um, and I think that that will you know watch the space. Um, but yeah, we we definitely feel that that it's incredibly important to be abreast of the way that people are interacting interacting with technology uh, in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so. With a, a lens towards the fact that you're dealing primarily in the insure tech space, um, what do you think incumbents can be doing today to prepare themselves for this digital future that, as you've mentioned, it, um, Anthemis envisions this embedded data-driven future? What can incumbents be doing to ensure that they are part of that future? I suppose the companies that I'm working with that really seem to be taking advantage of this wave of technology that's focused on our industry 
um, number one, they're grateful that there is <laughs> a whole sort of, you know, generation of technologists who are focused on the industry. It's such a boon. Um, they're paying attention to it and they are looking for consistent ways to institutionalize interactions with startups into their, um, into their organizations. Uh, I think that there are a couple of things concretely that, that you can do. One is to know your strengths and to sort of say, I want to know everything about that's going on that impacts these lines of business. I, the other thing you can do is to say, you know what, a safe place to try new stuff would be this because we don't have any channel conflict or, you know, we don't have, we're not cannibalizing ourselves. Um, I don't think either of those is wrong. I think that whatever, whatever people are doing to put serious resources behind understanding change and, and innovation is really important. Um, I think, you know, really legacy tech and kind of legacy ideas and thinking are the enemy of innovation. And so the extent to which you can either create a space where people can use new technologies, just full stop is really important. And also having people around, and I think this is happening more and more, um, who are open-minded and who understand technology and who aren't scared of it. Um, you know, those are, those are, I think, big culture shifts that folks running uh, financial institutions can be putting in place and, you know, attracting new people who don't look the same as, as everybody else and who are willing to challenge the status quo, I think is really interesting, you know, experiment. Um, but I think really putting resources behind innovation is, is a, is a no brainer for the insurance industry. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should? Well, um, I just want to invite anyone with awesome ideas about InsurTech to get in touch and follow me on Twitter and, you know, get in touch, direct message me, whatever. Okay. Very cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Ruth. It's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much. That wraps up my conversation with Ruth Foxblader from Anthemis. Join me in two weeks as Kara Buhonig, chairman and co-founder of InsurTech Connect, comes back. We'll be talking about how incumbents, insurtechs, and tech giants can work together to foster a more resilient, agile insurance industry. I'm Igrani Yu. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast. To hear more great episodes, visit Accenture.com slash insurance influencers.